Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, agency owner? If you're new here, I've got a free ebook on how to scale your business to multiple six and even seven figures by overcoming your dependency on referrals, doubling your profit per project, and removing yourself as the main bottleneck in your business. All you have to do is DM me the word gift on Facebook at Brent Weaver. That's facebook.com slash Brent Weaver. And I'll send you your guide on how to achieve freedom in business and life. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver. And today we're hanging out with Rahul Alim. Rahul is the founder of Custom Creatives, a digital marketing agency that connects companies with their dream clients. He has helped brands such as Realtor.com, Geico, Advertise.com, Reach Local, and thousands of local businesses with 16 years of over 16 years of experience running his agency. He now coaches agency owners to grow six-figure businesses with his proven GSD sales method. Rahul, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited for this. So where did you get your start in the agency world? What was kind of like your first client that you ever got? Well, the first client I ever got was a real estate agent. So my background was working for a company called Realtor.com who converted into a future client. But I was so familiar with that space. And just by chance, I just dove into that niche. And I didn't realize at the time that there's riches in niches. But I ended up staying in that niche for a long period of time. And quite frankly, I'm glad I did because I think it's one of the most difficult industries where you can get your teeth kicked in. So I'm so happy and grateful that I did start with it. But that's where I got my first client. I left Realtor.com, started a virtual agency where I was like, I'll be your virtual assistant and I'll charge you X amount of dollars per month or a pay in full for the year price for a discount. And I would help them manage the Realtor.com marketing system. And what that ended up leading to is a lot of, I knew a lot of the salespeople. So they became my referral partners because they hated customer service and they would get chargebacks or returns on product. But then there I came and they're like, Hey, if you're going to do all our support for us and we don't have to talk to our clients, we can upsell, cross sell. So it was kind of like a marriage. It was kind of like a match that we co-created intentionally. So we had a referral partner. So you, you got lucky with niching. You got lucky with a channel partner. But now you can kind of look back and connect the dots and say, hey, this is this is a key way to grow your agency from the beginning. And so are you now still very much working within that niche still or have you branched out into other markets? Has the business evolved from there? Yeah, as we started to evolve and we started to get like better internal training, because like it's hard to train somebody working with a dentist today or a doctor or whatever other niches there are, because people's brain and training kind of thinks a little bit differently. So it took us a little while to expand outside of that niche. Um, We stayed in it for many years just because eventually we partnered with Realtor.com as their official vendor. So we had an exclusive contract for about three and a half years, providing services from graphic design, copywriting, funnel building, all that kind of stuff. Um, that's more popular today. But yeah, then we expanded out. Now we're kind of broad where we take on any industry. As long as we feel we're a good fit mutually, then we are happy to take it on. So we have a pretty strong team on our end. So you've gone from hyper-niched to broad, which is yep. not something that I actually hear very often, right? I mean, most people are trying to like 
get back to or get get to niching or feeling like they should niche to to solve those problems. Why have you decided to kind of go more broad with the business? I think just referral opportunities started to come in. We started ranking well online. We started getting all these different types of businesses. And quite frankly, I mean, working with real estate agents, going to another industry was like sometimes a breath of fresh air um, because now we're dealing with people who are more willing to invest upfront heavier dollars to get like that outcome three, six, 12 months down the line. So once we started seeing that pattern, then we started just kind of isolating services. We're like, okay, let's focus on graphic design and SEO. And then once we started getting good at this, where we just had to write good copy, do white hat tactics and build a team out, then we started introducing other services and other complexities. But then we've also taken away services over time because it creates gaps and bottlenecks. So once we kind of feel like our profitability is not there or it's causing stress or hiring talent in that area takes too long to train or too hard to find, we kind of eliminate that role or that service and we just kind of stay focused on what we're actually good at. But the key element here, it comes down to like the people that we've hired. We just have to have a really strong, charismatic project manager because they're going to be representing everything this company is about. And if they can articulate and communicate really, really well, like two values I was talking about, the results-driven value, like what they pay us for is a result. And the second value is the relationship we can develop, but also without crossing that friend zone where we're buddy-buddy willing to get a beer. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like we have to have both balances. And that's kind of the important part of the people we bring on has to be like fun to work with. Like they they can kind of read the minds of the customers and anticipate either successes or problems. So we can kind of get into that, like that project a little deeper or just know what's going to happen in advance. So you're, it's interesting that you say that the the project manager has to be you know, they're representing, so like a really good communicator, fun. I don't know. I don't, a lot of times project managers don't feel like that person. Do you find that you're kind of going out and trying to find people that are more almost like an account manager and that's what's getting you better results as somebody who really is 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 managing the relationship component with the clients and and also managing the projects versus somebody who's very like, you know, regimented kind of focus on on the business? I mean, well, we have a culture here. I mean, we want people to like have their personality shine. So we're not trying to create like a robotic system. So if we're a culture match where we like the same television shows or we laugh at the same jokes, that's kind of like the the angle, the X factor that we're looking for is like, hey, are you a cool human? Could we hang out with you in the future? Could we be friends long run, even if we don't work together very long? So that's the first X factor we look for is, and then the hunger, like how hard are you willing to work? Are you willing to go above and beyond or just clock in, clock out? Because we don't want clock in, clock out people. And then next is going to be the talent and the skill. Like, do you have it now or does it need to be trained and how quickly can you learn it? So those are kind of like the the elements that I'm looking for when I'm hiring any position, really. I want to first focus on culture because if I have to talk to you daily, weekly, or monthly, I mean, we want to have a lot of fun here together. So we don't want to kind of hate each other because we're going to be spending a lot of time in the fire together, especially early on. How do you... So, so I'm, I'm, I'm uncovering maybe part of your hiring process, right? At some point, yeah, you've got to get an idea if people are fun. And I mean, do you like open your hiring process with like a joke or something? Yeah. I mean, we talk about jokes. I talk about like, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite meal? Do you like sports? Like, why did you even apply for this? What's prompting you to leave your current position? Like in two years from now, where do you want to be professionally? 
And then I'm just kind of understanding the human first because I don't care about the skill and the talent just yet because if I don't get along with you and my team won't, then we're going to create so much friction because I have hired people that technically are super sound, amazing at what they do, just caused friction along the way. And I call that, not to give any disrespect for Terrell Owens, but it was the first thing that popped in my head right now. It was almost like one of the greatest wide receivers probably to ever exist and probably could still play in the NFL today, but it's just like, he just wasn't getting along with a lot of the teammates. So he's kind of like turning over team after team. Maybe he played for three or four in his career, but I mean, we don't want a talented person that just won't match the culture. I'd rather have a culture match first and then either mold the talent or if they already have it, then we can ascend the talent through advanced training so so they can advance their career. That's why one of the key questions I love to ask is about that two-year vision, because your vision it's my job. If I'm the leader and my partner over here is the leader and you have a two-year goal, our job is to get you to that two-year goal, whether it's with us or without us. So that's one of the things I transparently talk about in our interview process is that regardless if you're here with us in two years or four years or 10 years, your goals are your goals. And my job, if we take you on, is to get you there. So we need to give you the talent, the skills, the weapons to be able to achieve your goal personally because it's your life we don't want you to show up if you hate us. Right. So that's kind of the, the transparent side of things where people don't hear that in interviews. They just hear like, what can you do for me type stuff, which is we'll get into in the throughout that conversation. But the reality is I need to know that our visions align first. Hey, what's up agency owners. Quick question for you. Could your client retention rate be better? Most small businesses are terrible at closing leads. So it's pretty common to churn lead gen clients quickly but I've been really impressed with a new all-in-one marketing platform that actually closes leads without clients having to get involved. The platform, which is called High Level, is built specifically for agencies, and the best part is you can white-label it so you can present it to your clients as your own software and collect that sticky software revenue in addition to your services charges each month. High Level normally has a 14-day free trial, but as a member of the YouGurus community, you have access to an extended 30-day trial, which you can access at gohighlevel.com forward slash you gurus. That's gohighlevel.com forward slash U-G-U-R-U-S. All right, let's get back to the program. Have you, um, any, any, uh, you know, war stories from interviews where it was like a bad fit clearly because they didn't like your style or your jokes? I don't know. I mean, I can adapt pretty well and I'm sure they would probably be able to speak for themselves who who like I, I have a war story about a hire that I thought was like absolutely perfect. Mm. Like I was bringing him in as like a senior SEO person on the team. I, I literally would interview him at 10 p.m. and I interviewed him five times at 10 p.m. And I picked 10 p.m. is just a test. I don't know why I did it, but I was trying to push the envelope to see if this guy was willing to want this position. And I'd meet him at a coffee shop, not even the office. And at 10 p.m. I loved everything. At 10 p.m., 10 p.m. specifically, <laughs> yes, because it was an important position to me. And it was like a very important that, hey, we like sometimes we have fires. We have different time zones we're working in. So when clients need something, I'm like, that's kind of the person that will have their phone by their bedside. And I'm not saying work 24-7 at 2 in the morning. I'm just saying when, when the going gets tough, we need to get going too. But I ended up hiring this guy, like amazing day one, day two, very second day working for me. Dude goes to lunch, comes back at 4 p.m. And this is like a four-hour lunch. So I'm thinking, okay, let me just say, hey, how was lunch? I know that you went four hours. Could you let me know that if you're going to take that long of a role, how are you going to make up for it? Because we just started. We're blending you in the culture. And I don't want to cause chaos and confusion with the rest of our team. 
very next day, this guy showed up completely inebriated about his mind, staring at our employees. It was the most weirdest thing ever. So I just uh, called the cab and I said, hey, here's your paycheck. Um, I'm going to walk you to the cab. And then the guy just like I never talked to him again. He he sent me threatening uh, voice messages and all this kind of weird stuff. But I was like, whatever. It is what it is. Bad story, bad hire. But I couldn't have anticipated that. But my point and moral of the story is that even though you do the best you can, I hire a little bit slow sometimes, but then I have to fire right on certain actions that I feel are not recoverable. And it's okay. That's part of our entrepreneur journey. So whoever in the audience feels bad that like, hey, I have a high turnover, you'll get there. You just have to get better at identifying who's a good culture match first. And no, don't worry so much about a resume. Yeah. So he showed up drunk or just on something or you weren't sure? It, 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 like. I didn't, I, I mean, he was out there. Like, I mean, he was, it had to be on something, but people were so uncomfortable and I wasn't in the office when this first occurred. And one of the girls in the office is saying, Hey, you need to get here now. This guy's making everybody uncomfortable. He's just looking at people and staring at them. So I'm like, okay, leave him in a room and everybody leave and I'll be right there. And cause I didn't want to put a danger to the staff. Anyway, showed up. My, one of my good friends is an HR guy. So I brought him with me and I'm like, Hey, let's just kind of do the termination process right now walked him out the door, got him a cab um, because he wasn't okay to drive. And then ultimately we never talked again after I got the threatening voicemails. <laughs> Holy smokes, man. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I, I love this story because I feel like you did all of the right things on the front end. Mm-hmm. And I mean, fortunately in this case, in a, in a way, right? Like it was really clear cut, right? Dude shows up like, drunk or high or whatever, both to work. And it's, it's super clear cut. I think a lot of people suffer from probably a lot of instances where it's not really clear cut. And they're like, "Uh, I don't know, this person's, you know, like not really delivering or they're not really getting what we need or they're not getting results or they're not, you know, maybe they kind of didn't represent themselves in the hiring process or they overrepresented themselves, right? I mean, I think that's like, it's almost nice when it's clear. Like if they showed up drunk, you're like, well, at least we could like, we could yeah. like, you know, we don't really feel like we're really uh, have to beat ourselves up over a situation like that. I think it's hard when somebody's maybe a culture fit, but they're not, but maybe they're not a full culture fit, right? And you're not exactly sure. Your gut says like, hey, this person is, is maybe not delivering. Like, what do you do in that situation where you kind of, you kind of know a little bit, but like, you don't know. Well, I just sit him down immediately because we're not confrontational. This isn't corporate world. We're wearing hats and t-shirts and flip-flops to work. Let's enjoy that culture, but then let's also have that clear line of communication. So I have no problem to be able to walk up to somebody and saying, hey, can we talk? There's some performance issues I'd like to uncover with you. And please walk me through what your solution could possibly be so we can actually hit our goals. And I'll say, here's what's on my mind. Uh, and I'll start off with like, here's what I like about you and what you're doing really, really well. I'm saying, here's where it's kind of bothering me, what I was expecting from you, but just please kind of communicate back to me how we can actually both get on the same page because this is what I want done. And I'll just walk them through the process in a non-threatening, non-competitive way, um, just because our goal is get past this. And the sooner we can do that, the sooner the, the we're going to fix the problem and we'll be all on the same page and we'll just have checks and balances. Like I have a, I have a morning report. Everybody sends when they start the day with their priorities. So it's like, here are my highest priorities after they've checked their emails. 
And then they'll have their pending tasks, which are like things that they could get done, but don't have to. It's not urgent. And then long-term goals where it's like training and maybe following up with past clients or upsells, cross-sells um, that they can deliver to salespeople. But, uh, and then the end of day report is like, like I, I ask them like, what did you get accomplished? And then I have a few questions I ask, like, did you honor your calendar? Did you honor your day? Um, were there gaps in your day that you felt that you could have been shown up better for yourself? So I'm putting everything, the accountability on them. And then I'm backing it into like, did you do your best job that you'd like to be happy with? Like, if you would you be happy to face your wife and say, hey, I did all I could. I gave my company the all today. So we were like, I'm, I played sports and I'm sure you probably love sports too. But I, I, everything I do is like in analogies. I talk sports. So that's why part of my interview process is identifying what people like, whether it's orchestra, sports, or whatever it is, so I can actually understand and communicate articulately to them through storytelling. Mm. So this daily, you, you do kind of a bookend, the check-ins. I mean, almost in a way, it feels like you're almost uh, creating a, a journaling habit of some kind, right? A yeah. self-reflection habit. Within the business, it's showing up as like a management protocol of like, you got to send this in every day, right? But in a way, you're, the, the real value I would imagine as a team member is not like, oh, what did Rahul think about my, you know, did he get my thing today? But it's more of like their own self-critique of their work. Yeah, exactly. Because I want to run an organization where I'm not the dependency. I want them to show up without me. And the way I kind of like explain it to them is like, I don't look at me like a owner of a basketball team, but in the analogy, that's how I explain it is like, if it, there's a hierarchy, like, I'm putting all the pieces for you guys to win. We'll bring in good marketing. We'll bring in salespeople that can bring on new clients that are appropriate for us. And then we have our project management team that's going to fulfill, communicate back to sales saying, hey, there's an opportunity or there's a miscommunication. Can you guys clarify? So we're operating as a team. So it's almost like, like when Kobe Bryant ran the Lakers pretty much with Phil Jackson and all the pieces that they had in their championship teams, like they had so much self-accountability to go above and beyond for them to win as a team. They didn't need the ownership group and, and all the investors to say, Kobe, play better, work harder. We want to actually kind of see them actually push themselves. And that's really what the end of day report is designed to do, is not micromanage. I mean, in some respect it is, so we know that they're actually working and accomplishing stuff. But uh, the reality is like, we want you to self-evaluate like how good you are as a valued team member and what you want to do to improve yourself. Can you paint me a picture a little bit about what the agency looks like today in terms of, I know you, you started out as kind of a virtual team. I mean, are you still in that model? Or are you more of a physical office? How many people do you have? Yeah. So it's, it's wildly changed for me um, in the sense that like, I'm always used to like people in person, but coincidentally, I also, uh, my, my dad was an entrepreneur. He built software for payroll and accounting back in the days, like pretty much pre into it. And, uh, and he always had a, he had a staff in India and he had a staff in America, like in, in a physical office. So when I started my agency, I did the same thing. I had staff in India, staff in, in America, uh, out here in California. So I always had physical people in my office because I love the art of communication. We can solve right there in passing. Hey, I got a question. No problem. Answer. Nowadays, like we kind of expanded out our talent pool because like, I got two decisions. Number one is... Do I want it? Like, I felt like after 14 years in one single office, it's all I knew. I slept there for the first five years of my life because I put in so many hours, but, but that's all I knew. I felt like I had roots. I felt like vacation was out of reach. So I've kind of got that. I'm like, let me, I've given all I could to this business to quote unquote, satisfy a level of success. Uh, but then I'm like, let me take care of myself now. 
So I did the opposite of the airplane model where if, if something goes wrong, you mask yourself, then help others. I was masking other people, then trying to help myself at the end. Um, so I kind of reversed the model. So I'm like, let me just explore this. So I kept the office and I let people work from home time to time. Then I had them come to my house and I'm like, okay, that's a little too much for me sometimes where everybody's coming in every day. Then I just expanded the talent pool where I'm like, okay, if I'm going virtual, time zones and location no longer matter because we have Zoom and all these different technologies where we can still feel like we're together. Um, so now the staff is spread from like we have St. Louis, Orange County. I'm in, I'm not too far from Orange County, Vancouver, Canada, and my partner behind me. Um, we have another person in somewhere in British Columbia, uh, Dallas, Texas, Indonesia, and then a bunch of people in India still. Uh, then we have somebody in Boston. So everybody's fairly spread. And some people are full-time, some are part-time, depending on the talent that we have. So we're, we're totally virtual right now. And it's, it's actually pretty amazing to see it all work, but it only works because I think we have strong A training, B like leadership, because people want, don't want to fail us and we don't want them to fail us, but we're so supportive. Like everyone can call us at any moment in time and we're available to them. Cause I know a lot of leaders and managers, they don't like that micro, like being that available. We're opposite because we're like, don't struggle. Like we'll give you the answer. So don't do all this tons of research. Like if you need our help and you come to us with a solution, solution oriented attitude or a solution could be like, Hey, I don't know what to do. Can you help me? That's a solution because we mm. don't want to feed be like, we don't want to baby spoon everybody. So if somebody says, Hey, how do I handle this objection in sales? Or what do I do for copywriting for a hook in this? We won't answer those questions because we'll say, if you have that problem, come to us with the solution on what you would do. But if the answer is, I honestly, truly don't know what to do and I'm so stuck, we'll give it to you. You don't need to research. You don't need to struggle. It'll take us a couple of minutes. How is it having, uh, you mentioned having team come to your house was maybe like a little much, a little weird. I, I know that there's a lot of agencies that when they are starting out, they might consider that, right? Having people kind of come over and, and work. I mean, is there, uh, maybe there's some obvious reasons you stopped doing that, but I mean, is that something that you were like, did it ever work or was it just kind of like an idea that just didn't really pan out? Well, I was just looking at it as, as like not necessarily a benefit to me, but a benefit to everybody to be together. So when when everybody's like, hey, I'm cool working from home, then I'm like, all right, let's just go over what could possibly distract us if we're working from home, just so we can actually like work around those. Because if you have children, then it may not be a good fit. It may not be a good idea. You may need a workspace or work from somewhere appropriate if you're talking to clients. If you're not talking to clients, coffee shop works, whatever, the noise doesn't bother clients. So like from from just having that space. I just didn't really need people in my house every single day. I didn't mind it, but, but again, like, I mean, there's, there's some days where I want a day off and I don't want staff in, in my house or team members in the house. I don't want to call them staff. I want to call them team members, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I just feel everybody got to the point where they, they have the self-discipline to not cheat us because if they cheat us, they're cheating themselves. So, so it's kind of like in, like in sports, we'd always like, if we had to run three miles and somebody would like try to cut the field in the middle, they're not, they're not cheating themselves. They're cheating us, the team, the, the everything like, because if they're not fit enough to play for us, it's going to cause bottlenecks down the road that will be exposed. So that's kind of like why I speak in so many sports analogies is that this is not just about one individual. It's about a team because like, we're, we're going to be as strong as our weakest link. And it's okay. If there is a weak link, our job is to actually hold you up. Just like in any team, there's five starting people in the NBA. Not all five are all-stars. So that's okay. Everybody has a role and a very important responsibility, but we need all five. 
Who's who's the uh, chief kind of revenue driver for the business? Are you primarily doing sales, or do you have a, a, a dedicated sales resource in the team? Like, yeah, I mean, I'll help and coach. I do a lot of the sales still. I enjoy it, and that's why um, my partner, who just kind of walked by here, if you guys saw him, if this is live, um, he uh, he does sales too when needed, when called upon. But we have like three really good setters that like will qualify and and tee it up, so it's a much more fluid conversation that's solution oriented versus kind of me having the first call. And we have two salespeople that we've got as contractor salespeople that are very well educated, um, really good at selling what we offer to our audience. So we have a whole, and, and even quite frankly, I think like the real sale really happens after we've actually brought them on as a client, because now they're going to get like what I call the Disneyland experience because now they're going to experience like what we are in action. So from that first onboarding call, that's really where I think the transition from like the cash being actually collected, but this is rarely where the sale get takes place because they need to be very comfortable with the team, feel that they're heard and understood because if there's any red flags at this stage, I honestly think that the client could be a potential risk. We just may not know it for 90 days because they may honor their first commitment to a pilot run of 90 days. But that's my most important part because people expose a lot more uh, because when we're doing like solution-oriented sales and value-based sales, we may not uncover every single pain and we may not be able to do everything for them out the gate until we build that trust. So this project manager, it's their responsibility to understand like where are these gaps, whether they're whether they're spoken about or hidden that they feel that they can like give us a, a feedback loop and saying, hey, I think this person needs help with setting up their CRM. It sounds a little sloppy. It sounds like any deals that come in, there's going to be a lot of deal decay, a lot of leads that'll go in. They don't have a follow-up process. And then I'll come in or the salesperson will come in and I'll say, hey, I heard you had a fantastic call. Can you give me some feedback from it? Cool. What were your takeaways? Amazing. Um, saying, hey, is it cool with you if I make some recommendations from what I heard from the call after listening to it and, and talking to X, the project manager? And then they're open. They're open-minded. I said, okay, cool. Now that we're going to be generating leads, like, Rate yourself from a one through 10 on how you manage your CRM. What about your follow-up process? If you could change something, what would you do? And now we're just opening up an opportunity to discuss those things. And if we can provide a solution, we just want to make sure they're open-minded and then we can provide them whatever that price may be to solve that big problem. You mentioned that your structure for a couple of your sales people is on a contract basis. Uh, and then you have a couple of setters, and I, I'd love to just dive into some of the details around this because I, yeah. how how does that work on a contract basis? So they're just you're getting them appointments. Are they going out and hunting their you know for themselves and bringing you deals? What's what's the structure of that? Combination of both. I mean, we, we don't want to create bad habits here, just because like I'm, I came old school. Like I started back in 2004. Really started in 2005. But like I came from the cold call experience. So I, I hunted, I gathered. And then when people would call me or be referred, I'm like, this is the most amazing thing. Somebody wants to actually hear from me. They want my service. So we're, I'm a big fan of like, we, I don't want to strap somebody's talent and cap themselves just because they don't have like a beautiful lead just sitting there where we're just feeding them like, like a mother feeds a child, right? We want to make people independent and strong people because that becomes so important to create those skills because then A, we're not going to be lazy. B, we're going to be more like, like grateful for the things we have as far as like leads, systems, follow-up, setters, all the stuff that will supply a good salesperson. Uh, but we also want them to also respect our process and our business that they'll do what they can to support us too. 
So the contractor sales just simply means they're on a commission performance basis. And, and we go through the same interview process. Like we'll have them like role play with us, the culture match stuff that I mentioned previously, because like, this is an important, like we're going to be spending a lot of time on sales, understanding our product. We record a lot of videos. We make a lot of documents. So we deliver like literally a package that says, Hey, here's us. Here's all our videos. Watch all this stuff. Pitch us our product. Um, let's role play. Let's do a triage call. A triage just simply means a qualifying call. And then we'll do a full-blown sales call. And we'll do just an objection handling part of our interview, where it's just going to be like, let's just throw out, hey, I have no money, but I love the product. Hey, I got to talk to my wife. Hey, I got to do this. So we kind of go through how they handle those, whether it's through direct response type answers, or if it's going to be through story loops. So we get an idea of what their good habits are, their bad habits are, and how coachable they're going to be. And then the last bit is like, I mean, just psychological questions. Like, let's say, hey, somebody wants to do a lead or there's a lead. And let's say your sister's getting married on Saturday night. You guys are out at a party Friday night, but this guy's a high value lead. And it's the only time you can take, you can, you can talk. What happens in that scenario? And then we just test what their commitment level is. Are you willing to walk away for half an hour to take a quick call for a sale? Or is it something where you communicate that loop back with a teammate and say, hey, man, like, here's the criteria of this person. Um, would you please handle it? And if you need me, I'll be available at a moment's notice. So I just like to see what pivot they do just because in sales, I mean, we, we have to be customer centric. I know that we want to honor our own privacy and our own space and our family and all that good stuff. But at the same time, like timing is everything. Like even last night, I mean, at 9, 12 p.m. specifically, one of our one of our salespeople, it was 9, 12 central time, but he's PSD. So 7, 12 p.m. PSD, one of, one of the leads came in and said, hey, I'm ready to start. If we don't reply in that moment, I don't know what time and space will cause friction because people make different decisions in a moment's notice and they may cool off later. So they may, their problem may be big enough to solve at 9, 12 p.m. local time for them but not enough by 9.30 in the morning after they've driven their kid to school. Things change, people get busy. Kind of like when you're in your shopping cart in Amazon. Feels awesome to do it, you don't do it, and then you're like, ah, whatever, I don't need it. <laughs> so so when you're, I mean, I think that's good that you guys do culture fit up front because I think that there's probably a lot of people where that's not their thing, you know? Like, I mean, I like, I mean, I yeah. just say, like, to contrast, like, our our culture, uh, you know, I don't think I ever, you know, I, I I make sure that our team, you know, sets expectations and is is done at five, right? I'm not going to ask mm-hmm. a team, a sales team member, to take calls on the weekends, but at the same time, like that's that's our culture, right? We just kind of mm-hmm. say, look, that's that's your time, but you've got a different culture, and I think that's kind of going back to what you were talking about 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 interviewing for culture. The last thing that you want is a team member who's going to join you know, and they are not okay with that, like type of approach. Right. I mean, yeah, exactly. And we're not trying to slave people for forever. We want people just available when we need them, because that's kind of like the commitment we're making to them is like, we're here as a family, let the family support each other. Sure. Um, And that's why, that's why I want to make sure that people would be willing to do certain calls, certain out of, out of time zone or whatever, whatever areas just to be a team player. And that doesn't mean yeah. every, everybody, but that's why in the interview process, I want to know their two-year goal because I can match everything back to that. Because I'm like, like, that's why whenever I have a new salesperson or even a friend that I have, I explain to them my style and my culture, where I think friction points would be. And if they agree that we should move forward because we have a, a friendship first, then I'll explain to them, like, here are the red flags about working for me. 
So I just be upfront and honest with them. If you can live with it, I'll live with it. But here's my expectation of you. I typically want more out of people than they want out of themselves. So my only attitude is I think of like, literally, I'm a huge Laker fan. So I'm always like thinking, what would Kobe Bryant do? And I'm like, that's it. It's a Mamba mentality. If he wants to get better and you're doing three-day practices, he's going to do four or five. That's just his attitude. I'm like, I, I like that approach. I like it when people are so disciplined, they just want to be their best selves. And it doesn't mean go work 20 hours. I'm not asking that. I'm like, give me your eight, your best. But you also have flexibility where it's like, you can go to the gym and CrossFit at 12 p.m. or 10 p.m. or in the middle of the freaking day. Like, I don't care. That's totally fine. Blocking your calendar so nobody books you so you miss something. So we have that built-in flexibility too. So so it's kind of like, we just want self-disciplined adults that work for us and say, what they're going to do and actually follow through with it. Yeah. I think this is a great, I love the themes from this episode. I love that the culture that you're creating is, I mean, really the agency that you've created is, is very culture centric. It's a, in the forefront, it's part of your interview process. It's part of your training process. It's part of how you view, you know, client acquisition and sales. I mean, everything to how you're sitting the culture with your clients and, and how, you said the culture with your, uh, you know, your contractors and everybody in the organization kind of lives and breathes the culture, which I think is uh, an awesome place for us to wrap our core interview. Rahul, are you ready for our lightning round? Hey, I'm as ready as ever. Let's go. <laughs> All right. What is the best advice you've ever received? Best advice I've ever received is don't be emotional in business. Like my dad gave me that advice. And it's because like what, like we can't read between the lines of if somebody had a bad day, a good day or their emails, because I've had like emails where you're just banging the keyboard angry, but then it's just a miscommunication. So it's just like, take the emotion out of it immediately. If you feel emotional, give it a 24 hour rule. So then I would just turn it back 24 hours. Then it's like, oh, everything calmed down, cooler heads prevail. So never burn, that leads to never burning a bridge. If somebody does, does you wrong, don't do them wrong. It's not an eye for an eye because the world ends up being smaller the older you get. And those people that screwed you over will ultimately be an ally in the future, possibly. So that's kind of where that emotion out of business comes in. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? Mm, probably tenacity, just because I played sports and that was kind of my big dream. And I never made it into the league and tore a couple ACLs along the way for soccer. But I would say tenacity and that driving force. But my real one word answer, what drives me is fear. It's fear of failure. Can you share an internet resource tool or app that you use that you think our listeners would find valuable? Um, I use Audible. I mean, whenever if I'm going for a long drive or something, I'll just pop on like a book. Uh, typically I like to listen to like more sales oriented stuff. Cause I learned through, I, I learned the art of communication a little bit better. Um, one that I'm listening to or two that I'm listening to right now is never split the difference. And since I have a, a, a mind that kind of wanders a little bit, I listen to each chapter, maybe two, three times in a row before I go on to the next one. So it kind of absorbs. Um, and I try to take one or two takeaways per trap chapter. So, and then gap selling by Keenan, that's uh, my other, my other go-to. Well, my, my next question was going to be, what book would you recommend and why? We've gotten two from you, Never Spill the Difference and Gap Selling, and the app is Audible. So any other books you want to throw out there? Um, one other book. I mean, this was, oof, um, Never Lose Again. And this is old school. Like, I mean, it sounds old school uh, from the authors because I know they're, they're lawyers, and it, it's kind of boring the way they present things, but it's probably one of the most articulate ways of learning like 
negotiation and skills and communication. So I, I love that book. I mean, that's that's one I've listened to at least like 10 or 20 times. Like I listen to the same stuff over and over. So I think a lot of people, what they try to do is expand their knowledge. I try to contain it too, where it's like in certain books, there's so many answers that if we just kind of like repetition is the mother of success, just like learning, like it takes a little bit of while to absorb that content and that information. And that's why I kind of listen to the same chapters over and over and over again. And then take a pen and paper out and just write down your favorite little takeaways. So you kind of internalize it and can then actually use it in real world application. Awesome. Rahul, we will link out to never split the difference gap selling, never lose again, as well as audible big fan of their uh, monthly subscriptions, keeping you motivated to keep those books uh, cruising through. Uh, We'll link out to all those in our show notes, yougurus.com forward slash podcast. If you're listening to this week of, you'll see Rahul's picture right up there at the top. Click on him. And we'll have lots of takeaways, nuggets, quotables, and links all organized for you on the show notes page. Rahul, how can people find out more about you? Is there anything else that you have for them to check out? Yeah. If you guys want to go to Facebook or LinkedIn, preferably Facebook because I'm a lot more active there, just type in my name. You're going to see currently a baby picture of me. That's uh, when I was, I don't know how many years old, I don't know, six, seven years old. But you'll see me across the big banner wearing a hat and a dark blue shirt like I'm wearing right now. So friend me on Facebook, just ping me a message and just say where you heard or met me. Um, and then we'll just start a conversation. So if you're an agency, marketer, consultant, or coach, we we have coaching services, we have free content, paid content. So um, if there's anything we can do to kind of make your day 1% better, um, let me know how that is. And we can probably deliver a resource when it comes to running a scalable agency. Sweet. Well, we will link out to your Facebook profile as well so people can find that uh, that baby pic of you and uh, see what you look like and uh, and see you in your uh, your your blue shirt and hat uh, for those that are listening on our uh, our podcast and on our live stream. So, uh, Rahul, thank you for being such a great resource for our folks. Again, check that out, yougurus.com slash podcast, and uh, hopefully we'll get you some Facebook stalkers. Dude, thanks for stopping by the show today. Hey, man, have a pleasure being here. I had a lot of fun here. And that's it for this week's episode of the Digital Agency Show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming to you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, if you want that free ebook on how to scale the multiple six and seven figures, all you got to do is DM me on Facebook the word gift at Brent Weaver, and I'll send you your guide on how to achieve freedom in your business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver.